I'm going to pray here in just a moment, but before I do, uh, this is a, a very solemn day uh, because of 9-11, 15 years ago. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem possible. How many of you remember exactly where you were, especially when the second plane hit? How many of you were at home? How many of you, here's one. How many of you saw uh, the second plane live? You watch on TV. Okay, so you'll never, just like me, I'll never forget that. I was uh, early, I was up the church, and I remember going down this hill. We lived about a quarter of a mile from the church, and I was listening to a station out of St. Louis, and the first plane had hit, and they had no idea what that was. They were like, that could be a small plane, we're not sure. And I still remember flipping the TV on, and when the second plane hit, I, all of you had the same feeling. Is this sickening, like, what just happened? And uh, the world changed. Would you all agree that the world changed forever? But we serve a God that is bigger than any disaster, that is greater than any terrorist, and his love is profound, and God is good. God is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that uh, this is a difficult day for so many. Uh, we all have memories of that day, and we remember a nation that was crying out for hope. And Lord, we just praise you that you're always there during the darkest moments of our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us as we continue to get into your word and bless and, and uh, strengthen those that 9-11 impacted them in a significant way. And, Lord, we just love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We're going to continue in our series through the book of 1 Peter, and we're on 1 Peter chapter 3. But in, in order to springboard into chapter 3, I just want to highlight a text from 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's verses 1 through 3, and I love it. At the beginning, it says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that because Peter knows one thing about human beings. We love to eat. Can I have an amen on that? You don't have to be religious. You agree with that. We love to eat. And it's at all different levels. For example, on the national level, uh, my kids make fun of me, but when I'm traveling, I still love to get out there and just get hamburger and french fries when I'm traveling. Just something, it just seems all American. Isn't that true? I don't care if it came from Hamburg, Germany, or wherever. It's American. But that's a national taste, hamburgers. There's regional taste. Marie and I, when we came out here in 1985 and went over to some friend's house, and they cranked out some Indiana chili. Anybody know what Indiana chili is? You put noodles in it. We thought that was weird, and uh, they're like, oh, everybody does that. And we said, no, no, they don't. So, <laughs> but I, I got to be honest, it's really good. It really is. I love it. But that's a regional, regional taste. And then on a personal level, everybody here, you have things that you love. They call it comfort food or soul food. How many of you, when you're really down, have something you eat? Raise your hand. How many, when you're really excited, there's something you eat? How many of you eat that every time? It doesn't matter, up or down. I'm just, okay. Uh, and I've shared with you, my addiction is peanut butter. And so I just, you know, just take the spoon out. I dip it, and it's, it's really embarrassing. I, I think I am going to see a counselor about it. But we know the value of food. So when we hear good, and Peter says, so I want you to think about good. And when you eat things that are good, and I want you to remember that God is good. And I think he wanted everybody in their minds to go, you know what? He is good. During the darkest times, God is good. Throughout 1 Peter, in this letter, and remember, 
when they would write these letters, they didn't write it by verse by verse. They would write it just like you would write a letter to a friend. And when he wrote this extended letter, 12 times he uses the word good. You're going to see throughout this chapter that he continues to use that word good. God really is good. There's a quote that I read. It's disturbing, but I want you to think about it. It's it's a group of atheists led by Richard Dawkins, and it's from the Foundation for Reason and Science. This is how they describe God, which I think it's interesting to describe God when you don't believe in God. But anyway, this is their description of God. God likes to be praised. And if you don't praise him, he'll either kill you, send you to hell, or excommunicate you. In other words, he's not worthy of all that praise because he's so self-centered. In other words, they're saying, in their opinion, God is a narcissist. Now, what is a narcissist? It's somebody who wants extreme, uh, has extreme selfishness. They have a grand view of their self. They crave admiration and praise. Here's the deal. Does God need our praise? No. He doesn't need our praise. Why does God want us to praise him? Because he wants us to lift up praises to him to take the attention off of us because we have a tendency to be selfish. And when you start all the way back in Genesis and you go all the way through to Revelation, what does the story repeat over and over again? A merciful God, a loving God, a caring God, a God full of grace, a God full of mercy, a sacrificial God who gave us his son. And at the end of it all, as difficult as life is, you come to the conclusion that God is worthy of praise because God is good. But that doesn't mean there aren't times in life that it's hard. Matter of fact, here's one of the ways that I think God shows us and demonstrates his praise for all of us is nature. You remember Jesus came off of the Mount of Olives and it says he started to go on a path and the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus. And they're saying, why are all these disciples, why are these people keep praising you? And they're trying to quiet them down. And Jesus said, listen, even if they didn't praise me at all, what did he say? The rocks will cry out. In other words, all of creation every day praises God. I don't know about you, but I love it. I can just sense it in the air. It's just getting a little bit cooler. Have you noticed that? Fall is coming. And all of a sudden, the, the amazing colors, and it's just another way to demonstrate that God is worthy of praise. Even nature praises God and God's goodness. I read this poster the other day, and I love it. A person describing their life. They said, I fall, I get up. I make mistakes, I live, I learn. I've been hurt, but I'm alive. I'm not perfect, but I am thankful. God is truly good. So this morning, we're going to look at two ways to reflect the goodness of God. All of us have the responsibility to reflect his goodness. So turn with me over to starting in verse 8, and we reflect God's goodness with our words, and that's a big deal. We reflect his goodness with our words. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because of this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see that, here it is again, the good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips 
from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. Did you notice that? If you want to reflect God's goodness, you be careful with the words that you use. If you go all the way up to verse 8, he said one of the things that every church should strive for is harmony or unity. Now, here's what that means. It's an interesting Greek word. And if you look at that Greek word, it isn't talking about uniform. In other words, God isn't looking for all of us to look the same. Isn't that great? You don't all look the same. You don't all, what if we started the West Side and out of the gate, we said, okay, if you're going to be a part of this, this is what you have to wear every Sunday. So you need to get a fitting. You got to wear this shirt. You got to wear, okay, you go, that is nuts. I'm not going to go uniform. Okay, God's not, that's not unity. But what God is saying is that when there are difficult times, you're unified in how you bring about a blessing in your life. That we would all agree that during the most difficult times, we're unified in saying, God can help us through this situation. God will help us through this difficult storm that we're facing in life. And we are unified that we believe that with all our heart, that God genuinely loves us and He really is our foundation, even when life is just beating us down. Our words are so critical. Have you ever known somebody that has athlete's tongue? You know what that is? It's that person who's always putting their foot in their mouth. You know anybody like that? You ever had athlete's tongue? You know, where it just rolls out, and then as soon as it rolls out, you're like, oh my, I should not have said that. You ever put your head on the pillow, and then that's when God's Spirit works, like, you know, you really shouldn't have said that. Or think of the times that you've been hurt by others, and it's sad, because people really are watching everything that we do, but they're also listening to what we say. Our words matter. There was a little four-year-old boy, and he's with his 10-year-old sister, and it was just a minute or two before the church service started. And his mom said, I'll be back in just a few minutes. You guys sit right here. Don't get out of hand. And I got to go get something taken care of. So she left, the little 10-year-old in charge. That was probably not the, the wisest thing. So the four-year-old boy decided, you know what? This is my time to talk as loud as I want. Because my mom's always make. So he's, he's broken the boundaries of inside talking. You know what I'm saying? And he's talking as loud as he can. And his sister leans over and goes, shh inside voice. He goes, I don't need to use my inside voice. Mom's not here. She goes, you're going to get in trouble. He goes, she goes, he goes I, I'm going to talk as loud as I want and nobody's going to stop me. She said, oh yeah, you think so? You see those two guys in the back in the suits? He said, yeah. She goes, those are the hushers <laughs> and they will knock you down. Yeah. So we're going to have a couple of hushers here. But there are times in my life I wish I had a husher, don't you? That I had somebody said, don't, just don't talk. We all need those. And the words that we use, I'm telling you, the words that we use can do so much good, but they can do so much harm. Matter of fact, there's a term, it's called friendly fire. Friendly fire is an attack by a force that is a non-enemy force. It's actually firing at your own troops. Think about that. The sad thing is that happens in the church, friendly fire. If I wanted to break everyone's heart this morning, I'd take a microphone and I would start handing it around and I'd say, share a time in your life that you were really hurt in church by somebody in the church. And here's what's just as sad. We could also share times that we've hurt others. And you know how we hurt them? And you know how people hurt us? 
It's with the words. And again, we have people that are watching what's going on in the church, and they say, if that's what's going on in the church, why would I want any part of that? I can't tell you over the years all the people that I've sat down with that have been crushed by church experience, by things that people have said. And we need to understand something that God says, if you really want to reflect my goodness, then be careful what you say. 1 Peter 3.15 says to be prepared, that we are to be gentle, that we are to be kind. We are to be a blessing to others with our words. It's interesting, that word blessing, the Greek word is eugelo or eugeo, and it means it's where we get the word eulogy. In other words, you speak as if you were speaking at a funeral. I've been a part of a lot of funerals. When people stand up and share, I haven't been at Now, that doesn't mean it won't happen, but I've never been at a funeral yet where somebody is unkind with the words that they share about that person. So saying we bless others when we handle others with that kind of respect, that if we're thinking, I, if I really, my mom used to say this all the time, I guarantee your parents, if you can't say anything what? Nice. Don't say anything at all. And my mom encouraged me a lot. Just, just quit talking, you know. And there are times we all need that lesson. Because in a short time, you can build somebody up or what? You can tear somebody down. Uh, this week, I had a group of guys. And the last few years, I uh, take a few days, and I, I try to hit the Appalachian Trail. And um, I always learn a lot. One of the things I love the most when you're on the Appalachian Trail is you meet some of the most interesting people in the world. Because some of them, are, they call them through hikers or hiking the entire trail, which is over 2,000 miles. So they're interesting, to say the least. And I just love the conversations. But you don't meet that many of them on the trail. So uh, the guys were moving down the trail. And here comes this woman, you know, coordinated, everything matches, you know, orange, blade. I mean, it was just, she's something else. Anyway, she walks up. And usually the, the, the normal length of conversation is about a minute and a half. How you doing? Great. Where are you from? Boom, have a good time. Where's the next place to get water? That's about it. For, I don't know if she was lonely. I'm not sure, but she just, she just started unpacking everything. Within a short time, I realized every person she mentioned that she passed on the trail, she didn't like. She had a story for everybody. I mean, I mean, it was just on. It was like Charlie Brown, the teacher. You know, and, and then I remember this thought. I thought, you know, the only person she hasn't criticized yet is us. Oh, that changed. Yeah, it, it changed pretty quick, you know. And uh, I said, what's your trail name? Because everybody has a trail name. And she says, oh, my name is Winston. Okay, good for you. You know, I'm Winston. And she then proceeded to ask us, do you guys know where you're going? Okay, we had a map. And the Appalachian Trail, really, it's, you know where you're going. You know, so we're like, yeah, we know where we're going. Well, let me see your map. So she takes the map. And then she goes, how far are you going? And we told her, and she goes, oh, that's as far as you're going? And I'm like, Winston, back it down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> have you ever met a Winston? Now, here's a big one. You ever been a Winston? Man, I have. Those days when the words that keep coming out are just so negative and negative and negative, and it literally wears people down. Proverbs 10.20 says, The tongue of the righteous are like choice silver. But then listen to Proverbs 12.18. Reckless words pierce like an arrow. Man, listen to that. So if you want to represent, and if I want to represent and reflect God's goodness, I'm going to be careful what I say. And then second of all, I want to reflect his goodness 
when my actions match my words. 1 Peter 3, 17 through 22 is what we're going to look at here. In 17, it said, it is better that we suffer, what? Doing good. Galatians 6, 9 says, never grow weary doing good. Let me share two groups of people that get a, a lot of press. And I don't know why this is. And I don't know that there's any, any more uh, jokes told about these two groups of people. Politicians and preachers. Am I right about that? And what is it, what is it that preachers and politicians have in common? Anybody? It's not a joke. You know what it is? Here's what people's number one complaint is. Your words don't match your actions. You ever heard that? Please. That, that's a big deal. People look at believers and they say, you know, that's nice. You say all these nice things and you talk about what church you go to. But, you know, I see the way you treat other people or I see the way you've done this and I see the way you've done that. And it doesn't seem like your words match your actions. So God says, if you really want to reflect my goodness, that has to match up. Your actions have to match up. So here's a tough question, a reflection question. This week, who showed kindness to you? Seriously, I want you to think about that. This week, as you reflect, who was it that just did something and you thought to yourself, you know what, that was, that was really kind. I'm glad that somebody did that for me. And then next of all, who did you show kindness to? I mean, kindness, no strings attached, that you just showed kindness. Because here's the thing, when we can't even go back and remember a week, we're moving so fast that we're not, first of all, receiving the kindness and realizing people are kind, or we're moving so fast that we're not taking time to just be kind, to do more than just talk a good talk, but to put this in motion, to be good, because God is good. Now, this Sunday, as we shared, one of the things that we talked about is we set aside certain Sundays, we call them Decision Sundays. And basically, what a Decision Sunday is, is just a day that, uh, a special Sunday when we know that people have had decisions on their heart, and we want to give them an opportunity to express those and not get in a hurry to rush through that. And I want you to look at a certain text here as we talk about decisions, because we're going to talk about more than just one decision, but I want to look at one of them here, and I want you to drop down to verse 21. And let me start with verse 20. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, and while the ark was being built, and in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. I love that text because he talks about the fact that in our lives, God says, you may reach a point when you want to take that next step and you really want to identify with Jesus Christ, that you want to identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that's called baptism. And what I love about this, he says, if you look at this symbolically, the water saved those few people, but the water itself, that's not what saves you. I think of the baptisms that we've had here, and Lord willing, we'll have so many more baptisms as we're here on the west side that it isn't the water that saves you. It's the fact that you surrender to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. We don't save ourselves. We're not worthy of saving ourselves. 
But you know how good God is? He wants to save us. When people ask me all the time, why should I, why should I be baptized? And I always go back to Romans 6. And I always say because it's, it's the perfect way to identify with the greatest day in human history. It's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And there's just something about it. And I'll be honest, I love it when people do it privately and they just bring a few friends together and it's very intimate, but I also love it when it's very public because it's a story and it's a testimony. Your story and your testimony is so powerful. You have no idea where you've come from to allow God's grace to wash over you in that way is so powerful. So I want to show just a short video here about not just the power of baptism, but the power of just surrendering to God. So if we can play that. <laughs> you, you thought I was going to show a tearjerker. Is that awesome or what? I'm going to do it. I'm serious. That's, that's really, when we're talking about decisions, that's really all it is. is you came to a point and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And for some of you, it is baptism. For some of you, you're like, I need to do this. And uh, there's going to be, in just a moment here, there's going to be a whole group of people here that are going to be here just to pray with you and to see what decisions. Some of you, the decision is, I just want to be a part of what's going on here. As we move forward on the west side, I want to be a part of this. I want this to be, uh, I don't, and we've talked about this, I don't like the word membership because membership sounds like you're entitled to something, but I love the word partnership. I want to partner and I want this to be my family's move forward. That may be a decision you want to make this Sunday. And then there's another decision on everybody's card, on everybody's chair. You're going to see this card, and it just says volunteer connection. And as you may make a decision, is you just want to step up and start serving. You just say, man, Lord, I just sense I need to start doing something. Maybe God's laid something on your heart, and you're like, Lord, I, I don't know how to do this, but I want to move forward with this. And you have the green light to do that. One thing you're going to find here, you're, if we can get it done, we are going to try to get it done uh, because we serve a God that is always moving forward. I love decisions. One of the things that I love most about my job is I get a front row seat to life transformation. And I get to experience things through you that blow me away. And I want to just share a couple of things that happened to me this last year. I was just thinking about God and how he shows up in powerful ways. Uh, one was a, uh, a gentleman at church on the east side. His name is Scott Hannon. And I'd met with Scott a few times, and uh, he was talking about getting baptized. And he said, you're probably going to hear from me on the spot. I'll send a text, and I'm going to be ready. I'm not going to do this in front of everybody, but you just be ready. And I said, okay. So he shoots me. Sure enough, he said, I'm going to do this tomorrow night. And I said, that'd be great. He said, just be ready at 5 o'clock. So 5 o'clock, first of all, his sons come in. And uh, I said, oh, that's great. And he said, uh, this was the coolest thing. He said, um, his wife, Larissa, said, mom's going to be showing up here in about five minutes. She doesn't have a clue what's going on. She thinks she's coming for a meeting. So I get to watch this unfold. He's out in the parking lot. I see Larissa pull up. And I see her get out. I see him wrap his arms around her. I can hear him talk, and I see this big tear roll down, and uh, I'm like, God, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. They come inside, and we go back, and we, I'm putting my waders on, and, uh, and Scott's getting ready, and we're all standing there, and uh, I was looking at the boys, and I said, you know what? 
this is, a, this is an amazing moment for your dad. We have two other sets of waiters. Put them on. And they're like, is that, is that okay? Can we do that? I'm like, that's why we have waiters. So they put their, so I got these guys that got their big waiters on. And then Scott comes out of the bathroom and he looks right at his wife and he said, you're the one who brought me to Jesus Christ. And she starts crying again. He goes, I want you to baptize me. And she looked at me and I said, here's the waiters, man. I took my waiters and I said, I'm right here, man. You, get, you all get in there together. And I've got these pictures of them as a family and her baptizing him. It was one of the most amazing moments. I just can't even describe that. And then a few weeks ago, we had uh, Jordan Gilliland. Probably remember Jordan, big guy, strong guy, and surrendering his life to Christ. And I remember uh, Jaylee, his daughter, right before was just... She's two years old, was just splashing in the water. There was just something that mesmerized her about the water. And then she saw her dad. And, and he is, he's probably 6'1". He's, he's not a small guy and getting baptized. And I've been talking to Jordan. I shot him a text again last night. I said, I want to make sure I get this right. Since that time, they can't count how many times she says, you know, I want to die just like Daddy did. I want to die just like Daddy did. There's something in that little two-year-old mind that was so, like for her, it wasn't scary at all. It was something like when he folded his hands, there's something there. He gave it all. He gave everything up. I want that. God wants that for all of us. He wants us all to say, I'm going to die to myself because God is so good. And no matter what you're going through this morning, I just want you to know he really is that good. And we're not going to rush through this. Whatever decision you have, we want to be here for you. So I'd like to ask the team uh, that, would, uh, that we prayed before this, if you guys will all start making your way up to the front. And then as we sing, any decision, any decision that you have, or maybe you just want to pray, we'd invite you to come forward. And like all of us as a church body, would you be praying for any decision that God is laying on our hearts this morning as we stand and as we sing?